Good morning. We're in the middle of a series called Supernatural. We're looking at accounts in the Bible in which supernatural intrusions called miracles end up inserting themselves into our natural world. Jesus' miracles are windows through which we can more clearly see who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. And that's the significance of miracles. It tells us about Jesus, and it tells us about the kingdom of God. Um, we began with his birth, and over the last several weeks, and including today, we'll consider his healings. Now, look what it says in Mark chapter 1. It's in your worship folder, and there's a sheet in there. Uh, begin in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Uh, following his baptism, Jesus entered the region of Israel called Galilee of the Gentiles, and this is what he announced. Uh, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And the good news Jesus announced is that his coming marked the breaking in of the reign of God on the earth. So in an unprecedented way, we hear about divine appearances, divine experiences, but with Jesus, he ends up, everything prior to this time was at best an analog version of the kingdom of God. Now you're going to see digital. The kingdom of God is at hand, and what he ends up saying, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of truth and a kingdom of power. It's both of those things, and he demonstrates both of those things. Um, people had been thronging the house where Jesus was staying, again, in the northern part of Israel, which is Galilee of the Gentiles. It's about 60 to 80 miles from Jerusalem. If you were spiritual, it's not the place that you wanted to be situated. You wanted to be down south. But Jesus went to the north of Israel, and um, he, people found out where he was staying, and they were getting there before first light waiting to be healed. In Mark chapter 1, I'll just read. You don't have it in your worship folder. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. So in order to beat the crowds one morning, he gets up a long time before daylight, because people are going to start to show up pretty soon. It says, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, 
so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. So when Jesus goes from where he was in a town into a desolate area en route, he ran into a leper. And what we read is a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. We know that there's not much of a crowd because if a leper was there, you can be guaranteed there wouldn't be a crowd. Um, leprosy, biblically, is a general term for skin disease. Uh, the, when we think of leprosy today, we think of Hansen's disease. That's a specific form of leprosy. Back then, it wasn't just Hansen's disease, but it was a series of skin diseases that were covered by that term, some of which were curable, some of which at that time were not curable. There, there are drugs that can help a person dealing with Hansen's disease today, but not back then. They didn't have that. The deal with leprosy, it's a specific, it's, a, it's an especially tragic uh, ailment. In Philip Yancey's book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Man, I think he talks about an account where a doctor who worked with patients with Hansen's disease went to, I forget exactly where it was anyways, but trying to do what he can to treat that, and he ended up wanting to get into um, an office and the lock was rusted shut. Tried to turn it, put the key in, just wouldn't budge. And then a small little boy, um, one of the individuals who had Hansen's disease, said, let me try Sahib doctor. Okay, gave him the keys. Click! And he opened it. And the doctor was astonished, but looked. <clears throat> And he had gashed his finger to the bone. And that's the deal with Hampson's disease. It deadens the nerve endings. So whereas pain would have caused a normal person to come up short, this individual just, he snapped, but he, guys, that's the deal with Hansen's disease. It, the disease and the skin diseases associated with it resulted in one being unclean ostracized from society and from one's own family and one's own home. Socially, a leper was the equivalent of the walking dead. A leper was a walking corpse, never cared for. People would avoid you like the plague. Um, since leprosy was regarded as a punishment for sin, there were spiritual distance and Physical distance and moral distance, people just stayed away. Curing leprosy was regarded as a miracle equal to raising the dead. It was like that, and they kind of put those two things together. The worst things were death and leprosy. The man with leprosy knew that Jesus was able to heal him, and the reason why he knew that is Jesus was healing everyone. It's nothing special especially meritorious in this individual. It wasn't that he was very pious. It wasn't that he was especially holy. Jesus had been doing a bunch of miracles in the place where he existed. He hadn't had a chance. He had heard of it, surely, but he would never be allowed to get close. And that's what you find biblically. Jesus doesn't just stay in the place where 
everyone is congregated and able to get to him. He gets to the people that are unable to get to him. I love the story when he is clearing the temple. And in the temple of Jerusalem, there were courtyards within courtyards within courtyards within courtyards. The the more in the inner, the courtyard, the more toward the center, the less and less people that could go in. I remember being in the Forbidden City in China, and what you could see in the entrances into the inner courtyards, there were figurines up in the, in the, the edge of the roof. And I remember saying, what are those things up there? And we talked to a guy, somebody knew, they said, that indicates who may and may not enter. And so progressively it became more and more exclusive. In the temple in Jerusalem, the very outside courtyard was the courtyard of the Gentiles. That's where non-Jews could enter. And then you had to be a Jew to enter into the next courtyard, and you had to be a Jewish male to enter into the next courtyard, and more and more and more exclusive, until the very innermost one, only the high priest could go once a year. But what ended up happening, because of the Jews, they would want to go into the courtyard and sacrifice. They had to bring animals and different things with them, but it's kind of a pain to carry it from outside the gate. You know what I mean? You have to carry it the 20 and 30 yards from the outside to the inside. You know, this is the courtyard of the Gentiles. I mean, Gentiles, Goyim. So, so what ended up happening is the money changers, and they set up tables there in this place. And what ends up happening, Jesus goes into the courtyard of the Gentiles, and then he said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, not just Jews. I'm not bouncing Jews here, but it was supposed to be for everyone. And so what Jesus did, he threw over tables. Interesting, after animals are scurrying around and people are picking up their coins, what it says, I love the picture. There had been individuals who were gathered there, and they were against the walls in the periphery of this place. They couldn't get in because there were all the tables and they were the Gentiles. And what happens? Everybody's scurrying around, picking things up. And what it says, and the lame and the sick came to him. And you know why? Because he made a place for them. That's why he tipped over tables. This is a place for you. Jesus always made a place for people. That's why he wouldn't just stay in a town. There were people that couldn't get to him in a town, like lepers wouldn't be allowed to enter the town. They had to stay in their own colonies. From point A to point B, then a leper comes to him because Jesus moved to a place where it was possible for the leper to come to him. And he knew he was able to hear him, and what he doesn't know if Jesus is willing, what he sees reflected in the eyes of those who were religious leaders was, A combination of contempt and pity and distance. Distance. A lack of willingness to do anything. And so what he knows about Jesus is Jesus can make him clean. What he doesn't know, and he really doesn't know, is he willing to deal with a leper? To touch a leper. See, if Jesus touches a leper, 
he becomes unclean spiritually and perhaps becomes infected. Very it's infectious. So if you will, he says, you can make me clean. And then he waits. I don't think he had to wait long. Um, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand. Touched him. I wonder when the last time this guy was touched. I, I wonder if he, I wonder if he could feel it. I think he probably had to look at it. The nerve endings could have been gone. I'm not sure. I don't know. But he, Jesus touched him. And said to him, and the guy said, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus doesn't go into an epiphany of all these kind of big words. All he says, I will. Be clean. Done. No sweat breaking out on his head. No contortions. Yeah, I'll do that. Be clean. Done. And immediately, leprosy left him. He was made clean. There's a couple of puzzling things here. There's some things that you can get the image, and it's just powerful. A couple things that you, if you look closely at Jesus, and if you listen to what he said, there's something a little strange here. One, is that me, or does Jesus look a little hot? By hot, I don't mean physically. He looks a little irritated, doesn't he? What's he irritated at? We'll see that. We'll have to explain that. He seems to be somewhat miffed. And what he says, he commands the heal leper not to say anything. Wait, 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 wait. You heal a leper, that's like raising the dead. That's not something you want to keep under wraps, Jesus. You know, we're trying to build a movement here. And sure, they know about you in the cities, but they don't know about you all over the place, and it can't hurt, the PR. Well, and, but Jesus says, and he says, really, tell no one anything. Okay. Let's try to figure that out. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. We're not sure that that's original. What we have is that in the Bible was written by someone on something. But it wasn't put on a computer. It wasn't put in a document. They put it in a document, put it in a book. And what we have from the Bible are, we don't have any of the original autographs, the first printing, the first copy of it, we don't have. They were put on vellum and on things that ended up deteriorating. They, books didn't last forever. So what ended up happening, then people copied and there were copies of copies and copies of copies of copies. And what we have sometimes is that when there are copies of those original copies, sometimes they have different words. And so one of the copies has this word, and another of the copy has that word. This is one of those cases. It says one of two things. It says moved with compassion. And the word compassion, Jesus touched him. The other one is moved with Anger. 
Jesus touched him. And some of the versions of the Bible will say that. The New English Bible would say, moved with anger. Now, you can understand why somebody trying to figure out what's original would say, oh, geez, I don't want to put an angry face on Jesus. He's healing a leper. It must be compassion. One of the things, though, is that the more difficult rendering is probably the original one, because you can see why people would go from anger to compassion, right? That makes sense. It's hard to figure why somebody would change it from compassion to anger. Do you understand what I mean? And so for some people, that becomes, oh, it must have been compassion, and those who translate and try to put the Bible in the form, they really have a bear of a time with this. And they say, it must have been compassion, but some, and I'm one of them, I think it probably was originally anger. And then there's some other words here that would lead us to believe that that's entirely possible. Jesus is a little hot. And here's the question, why? But we've seen it before. We've seen this before. Look what it says in John 11. It's right there. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is when Lazarus has died. Jesus stays away. He knows he's going to heal him. He knows that God's going to be glorified, but he stays away a couple of days until Lazarus dies. Then, then he shows up with the disciples. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with, who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. Deeply moved. That word is a word that has the sense of snorting. Pawing the ground. If, you, if you've ever seen a bullfight in China, there was, they didn't have a bunch of English uh, programs on, so it would be late at night and I'd watch a program, and there were bullfights. <laughs> so, you know, not a lot of, you know, because otherwise it was the, the Peking Opera, and it's, you know, there's a, then I won't try to, I almost did. I just came within this close of trying to imitate them, and I've, Thank God that I did not. It was, you know, but then everything in Chinese, I don't know Chinese well enough, but, you know, there's a bullfight. You can understand that. You know, the bull comes and the guy has the, has the you know, the things, and he, you know, you have to do that thing. And uh, it's not, nothing. <laughs> um, okay, okay, okay. So, you know, then you'd see that, you know, what you'd see is the bull just, you know, at the beginning when this guy comes out there and you can see the bull snorting and pawing the ground. That's the image of the word. Snorting and pawing the ground. When Jesus saw them weeping, he started. And he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Troubled means agitated. He wasn't. You know, when Jay, when you, Jay, Jay, Jay C talked about, if we were to see the picture, we'd say, wait, that's a little disturbing. That's disturbing. What is he, what is he doing? Why is he, uh, the image again is a bull. It could be the same, and I think it could be the emotional reaction to Lazarus could be the similar to the emotional reaction to the leper. That's why I think anger could be original. We see the same combination in the, process of a healing there's something that we don't quite understand i think jesus um sees the death and leprosy reduce a body to rubble i think jesus looks at that and his face gets red 
He starts to paw the ground. He's angry, indignant. He's not angry at the leper, as society would have been. You know what he's angry at? The leprosy. He's angry at the death. Again, it's going to have to take its course. He's going to work it, but this is the sun. And um, the violent tyranny of death and disease stands before him. And for that reason, Jesus hates the death and disease that he sees. Not just love here, but sometimes love manifests itself in anger. Moms. I've heard from a mom who wasn't expecting it so quickly when she gave birth. And that doctor came and picked up her infant by the feet. And again, she having gone through what she went through, she was off that table before she knew it. She was off the table. It was it shocked her because she doesn't realize all she knows is she was at him and then she caught herself. And what was that? That was love. But it was anger. I'm going to confront anything that gets in the way. There's I was mowing the lawn yesterday, and the person next door said, come here, you're going to see, see this. And so ended up, he goes, we have a bunch of ducks in a bush in the front. And so, you know, so anyways, we look around, and in this bush, there's, there's, a, there's a female duck. I don't know what they're supposed to be called. I don't want to say anyway. There's everything has names, you know. There's a gaggle of geese, and then there's a warren of rabbits, and everything has different names. So I'm okay. So anyways, so I'm I'm looking at this thing, and this, and we're right there, and we're this close, and we're not doing anything. We keep a respectful distance. She's sitting on eggs, but then we did, and the woman got a little close, and you see the mother puffing up. This mother's not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere, not going to move. And had we tried to invade that nest, we wouldn't have seen, oh, please don't do this. What we would, we would have seen is heat, heat, threat. I'm going, to con- I'm going to meet this threat head on. I think that's what we have with Jesus. Jesus is going to need this anger to get to the cross and to get through the cross so that he can, well, I think it fuels his struggle on our behalf. Um, So here's the question. Why is Jesus angry? Because of sympathy. That's why. Because of sympathy. He, not just sympathy, there's just that Greek word to feel with more empathy to not distance. Sometimes we think of sympathy, it's not that way with the word used. The Greek word for sympathy is to feel with. Sometimes in our parlance, sympathy and empathy, sympathy feels distant, empathy close, but the way it feels, it's more empathy. It's, it's, um, and that's what Jesus has. Look what it says in uh, Hebrews 2, since the children have flesh and blood. He, too, Jesus, shared in their humanity. 
so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It says, surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. We talked about angels. Angels are unembodied spirit beings. That's what an angel is. A spirit without a body. Unembodied spirit beings. They can appear, but they're not confined to a body. What are we? So if angels are unembodied spirit beings, what are we? Embodied spirit beings. You're not a body who has a spirit. You're a spirit who has a body. Okay, here's a question. What was Jesus? Unembodied spirit being, embodied spirit being. Do you know what Jesus, once he entered a body, he never left it? Right? When he was raised from the dead, did he leave his body behind? He took it with him. And you know where he is now? Still in it. It's a different body. Jesus is like us, not like angels. He is an embodied Spirit being, a spirit in a body. Why do I say that? Um, why do I say that? Because Jesus sympathizes with life in the body. He's not like an angel. Angels can't sympathize with life in the body. They've never been sequestered to one. That's why when the angel travels around with them in the wilderness, angels don't have any sympathy or forgiveness. As far as they're concerned, you're just defective because you have a body. You should be like us, unembodied. But Jesus gets you because he is more like you than he is like angels. He understands life in the body. And he not only understands it, he sympathizes with you. Jesus is not anti-body. We have this sense sometimes that Jesus tolerated a body, that he's anti-body. He's not anti-body. Angels are anti-body. Jesus is pro-spirit and pro-body because he's both. And he sympathizes with us. Um, he's like a liberator. And you can tell somebody's identification with what they get angry at. If Jesus had been an angel, he wouldn't have got angry at disease and death. You know why? Because he wouldn't sympathize with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't deal with that. How can I sympathize with something I don't deal with? Guys, we can't sympathize with childbirth. We can't sympathize with it. We're never going to experience it. In that same way, angels can't sympathize with having a body. But Jesus can. You know why Jesus is angry at death and disease? 
because he sympathizes with us. He understands what it's like to have a body. He sees that as a threat to a body. He understands he is a body. And because of his sense of identification and sympathy, he paws the ground. This threatens who he is and who and what is true of those he cares about. He cares about us in a way he doesn't care about angels. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about angels. It just doesn't mean he doesn't sympathize with them the way he sympathizes with us. Jesus understands you in a way an angel never could. So you might have, I don't know about guardian angels, guardian savior. I'll take that over a guardian angel any day. Fear of death. It's not just, and I think for Jesus, he has a couple things. And, you know, so we see the anger, and I think he's angry at the death and the disease. But there's something else. <clears throat> there's something underneath the death and the disease that Jesus has his crosshairs on. Something that you and I don't always see clearly, but he did. Because gee, he was immortal, and he knew, but he understands us, that we can't look at life with a wide-angle lens. We look at life within 40, 50, 60, 70 years, Jesus, what he could see, the fear of death. It's in us because we're going, there's going, there's going to come a time. Well, you're afraid of dying, aren't you? You say, no, no, Mike, <clears throat> I'm a Christian. Mike, I'm a, I'm, I am a Christian. <laughs> And so how can you ask me if I'm afraid of death? Because everyone knows that Christians aren't afraid of death. It's not true. Very natural. For people who live in a body to be anxious when that body begins to break down. Disease. Death confronts us. And at that point, we are going to balance a sense of hope with a sense of, and it's natural to do so, because we are both body and spirit. And so if you are facing disease and difficult stuff, don't feel guilty because you have anxiety and fear. If you don't have some, I'm concerned about you. You're more angel than person, and you're not like Jesus. Again, Jesus, what did he say before he, Father, take this cup from me? Did he say that? Did Jesus want to die? Did he? Was he willing to die? Yes. Did he want to die? Absolutely not. He didn't want to die. You know what different was Jesus was when he experienced some resistance? He didn't go on a guilt trip. He didn't say, holy smokes, I'm the son of God. I can't be afraid of dying. <laughs> he said, Father, take this cup, but not my will, but your will be done. Yeah. Um, we need to understand Jesus' mission. Look what it says. Um, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, he shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. Look what it says here and free those who all their lives 
were held in slavery by the fear of death. If you put your finger on the reason for spiritual bondage, it is about the fear of death. But I would suggest not that not just the fear of the process of dying, but the fear of what happens on the far side. What's going to happen when you die? Are you going to face judgment? Are they going to run out the highlight reel? You're going to have to sit there? Oh, don't don't show that one. What's that about? That's not about the fear of death. That's about the fear of judgment. Judgment. Is it possible to be sad about death but not afraid of judgment? Yes, it is. That's Christian. That's Christian. Now, again, all of us, we deal with the fear of judgment, but that's something that God is working on in you, by the way. He wants you to understand his love so that the fear of judgment will go down. The more you understand the love of God, the less it's possible to live in the fear of judgment. They are on a seesaw. The fear of death, the fear of judgment, the love of God. The more you understand that. So you know what I'd say? All of us, if you say, Mike, I got a problem, I'm afraid of judgment. I get that. You know what I'd say? Don't work on the fear of judgment. You understand what I'm going to do here, right? Don't, don't, don't go over here. Don't say, oh, okay, I'm not afraid of judgment. I'm not afraid of judgment. I'm not afraid of judgment. I do believe. I do believe. I do believe. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Okay. Okay. It's better than the Peking Opera. It was, it was. So, so what, so what you do is you don't do that. Do this. And not, this is not forced. I do believe. Focus on his commitments. If you haven't read it for a while, read it again. I do believe. I do believe. What's happening? I do believe. Love drives out fear. And so what ends up happening, as love drives out fear, you know what's going to happen? You get to the place where you, a loved one, you're going to feel sad. I hope you feel sad about that. But you're going to find that there's a part of you that while you feel sad, not having to deal with the weight of judgment makes confronting it feel a little bit different. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's modest, but it's feel sad, grieve. But you can grieve and not deal with fear. Again, that's how you do that, Mike. That's what I'm so, if you want to be who God wants you to be, you know what I'd say? Focus on his commitments. Focus on his commitments. Become brilliant in believing in his love, because I think that's the way it works. His love drives out fear. Um, Jesus did the miracles he did, and the reason why he didn't just do a miracle machine, because you know what he basically wanted to do? He doesn't eliminate death. What he tries to do is show us his miracles so that we would believe what he says. And if we believe, if you believe what he says, what, you know what's going to happen? You listen to what he says and believe it, 
you are going to fear his judgment less. When you fear his judgment less, you are not going to like death, but it won't cripple you. You won't be in bondage to it. That's what Jesus has the crosshairs on. He can't just heal everything that walks and deal with the fear of death. He's going to have to talk to us, and he's going to have to rise from the dead to give us reason to believe that God is not going to judge you. You say, how do you know that, Mike? Because Jesus is God. And he indicated that he came to forgive sins. If Jesus forgives your sins because he died for them and because he nailed the law to the cross, if Jesus forgives your sins, do you have to be frightened about a highlight reel? Do you? We do not. We do not. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? And you are by believing. That's what it's not about a right. It's about remaining. And if you're here and you're remaining and you're wanting to understand, you're in. You're in. Some of you made a decision Others of you, it's a progressive thing. If you didn't make a decision to ask Jesus in your life, that's okay. It's not about receiving. It's about remaining. That's the Christian word, remain. Remain. What will happen if I remain, Mike? This will happen. Love up, fear down. And you'll come to the end. And you'll still... The fear of judgment will be much, much less. And what you'll find, you're able to move into it with a sense of breathing. Not, it won't be fun. Yeah, you understand what I mean, right? Dave Breifogel experienced that. He passed away, leukemia. And again, he had a very healthy ability to look at God's commitments. He really tried, really remained in them. And what he would tell you came toward the end that when he read this thing about my peace I give you, what he, he really said what it felt like. It felt like something that was given to him when he was dying, really did. And the way he described it to me, it said it was like somebody put something on me. And the thing that I was aware of is, oh, my God, this feels good, and I don't deserve this, but, oh, this feels good. And he described it like, and he would, it didn't, it wasn't a one-time thing. You know, he described himself as, you know, Mr. Rogers when he puts the sweater on. <laughs> that's kind of, that's the image he got. He'd wake up in the morning and he'd think about the peace of God that passed and he'd, and he'd put it on and he'd breathe again. He'd breathe again. And that's how he went to his death. Did he have up and down points? Absolutely. But it was helpful. It was helpful. Yeah, that's why when Mark said it, I said, said, miracles exist for faith. The reason why Jesus did miracles is so you would believe what he says. Because believing what he says doesn't just deal deal with fear and death, death and disease, but it deals with the fear of it. You understand that? The fear of death is confronted by what you believe, by what you believe. Jesus did what he did so you'd believe what he said, so that you would be delivered not from disease and death, but from the fear of death. How much of sin 
as you think of it, and sinful behaviors, and then how much of it do you think is rooted in the fear of death? Think about that. Think about that. What the Bible indicates, that is the reason for bondage. He said all those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. It might not feel, you might talk to people who say, are you afraid of dying? Oh, absolutely not. But at some point, though, the drivenness that comes with, I've got to get it now. Why do I have to get it now? Because I'm not sure what's going to happen then. And I'm not sure, and again, because you know, sometimes we, our sins are so big, Jesus' sacrifice kind of gets eclipsed by our sins and our own. Um, the, the, the sympathy of the son, very quickly, the sovereignty of the father. Moms, you're going to go out to eat, and I am not going to keep you any more than a couple minutes. Um, I'm going to finish this in one or two minutes. Look what it says. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Find grace to help in time of need. I'm going to do an illustration. Worship team, come on up. Quick. <laughs> if point A is being naked and afraid, all things are naked and exposed. And point B is in the presence of the Father, speaking freely and receiving mercy and grace. That's a big stretch to go from here, feeling naked and shame before God, to here, feeling open and expressive. What is it that connects point A to point B? The sympathy of the Son. The sympathy of the Son. You want to learn to be more open with God? Think about the sympathy of the Son. That will usher you into the sovereign purposes of the Father. As you understand Jesus' sympathy, you'll find yourself being a little bit less afraid of God the Father a little bit more free to open your heart to him to receive the mercy and grace. Point A, point B, the sympathy of the Son. Make that a focus. I need to be brilliant in the sympathy of Jesus for me, because you do. Dear Father, I just want to say thank you again for moms. Today's their day. Uh, bless them as they leave today. Also help us to remember what God comes to do, um, that God is a God who's sympathetic and in charge and gets agitated at the things that assault us because he cares for us, and we want to remember that. These things we ask to take with us today, in Jesus' name, amen.